Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Manya Brashear-Pashman. Nefesh Mountain arrived on the bluegrass and American music scene in 2014. The husband and wife duo of Eric Lindbergh and Donnie Zasloff have since performed in hundreds of synagogues in the United States and around the world, representing Jewish American culture, tradition, values, and spirituality in the world of bluegrass. Bluegrass Today magazine has described the duo as what happens when bluegrass and Jewish traditions meet and fall madly in love. In honor of Jewish American Heritage Month, Donnie and Eric are with us now, or I should say we are with Donnie and Eric now in their home in northern New Jersey. Donnie, Eric, thank you for welcoming people of the pod. Thank you for coming. We're so excited to have you. What a treat. So please share with our listeners how the two of you got together. Did you have individual musical pursuits or did you not really find your groove until you were together as a duo? We're both pointing at each other. (laughs) You tell it. You tell it. Well, we both had individual pursuits. We met playing music in the New York, kind of North Jersey area years ago. We met back in 2010, and we were playing music in various fashions. And the quick story is that our band is a love story, and we fell in love a few years later, and it became apparent to each of us that we were head over heels crazy about each other, and that we also had all of this stuff that needed to come out that we kind of needed the other person to help kind of embolden our feelings of, you know, Americana music and of Jewish life and of culture and all this stuff. So I grew up in Brooklyn and, uh, you know, so much of my my life as a kid was part of the synagogue, my after-school program and my camp and, of course, synagogue. And I had a bar mitzvah and I grew up with this big Jewish life in Brooklyn. But at a certain point, I became kind of just a musician. I didn't know where to put this Jewish side of myself. I went to study jazz in college and all this stuff. So when I met Donnie, she kind of brought me back to this feeling of, well, you can be proud of this and you can be excited about it and you can live a fully Jewish life. You don't have to do it any which way. You don't have to be a quote unquote good or bad Jew, which we hate those terms, you know, but people tend to use them, even Jewish people, of course, to, you know, show how religious or observant they're being at a certain time. So she had this completely unbridled kind of cowgirl way of looking at being wild and Jewish and proud and being yourself. And and ultimately, I think that is pretty much the core of our message as a band, but I guess we'll get to that a little bit later. But she brought me back to this place of really just being proud of who I was. And that was the little germ that started this band. Then I brought kind of this musical sensibility in Americana music with the banjo and fiddle and and all this stuff. And Donnie, how about you? What was your journey? Well, I've always loved all different kinds of music, and I've always been very, as Eric was describing, like just having a very strong Jewish spirit. I think what Eric's, you know, it's exactly right. When Eric and I fell in love and started to really kind of get real with ourselves, and we wanted to kind of express ourselves in the most authentic way. And I think my Jewish spirit and his massive knowledge of all kinds of music, and he just kept throwing CDs into my car, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. And he just kind of opened my mind and my heart to so many styles of music that I, some of which I loved already, some of which I learned. It was just something about the stars aligning for Eric and I that 
the music that we started to write from our truest selves in that moment came out in this Nefesh Mountain kind of a way. And it turns out it's exactly like our truth. And it's exactly the thing that we were looking for. And it's like our relationship, our connection. It just, it, it is our truth and it's become our whole adventure. And are you talking about the genre of music when you say that the Nefesh Mountain sound or something else you're referring to? It's not. It's like our language. It's the type of music that we play. It's the stories that we tell. It's the, the perspective that we have. A lot of people say, you know, where is Nefesh Mountain? Like, is that a place? And we always say, it's a place. We made it up. But it's our. <laughs> it's a place that we kind of, it's like a little dream world, that bubble that Eric and I have like sort of dreamt up where, you know, it is a little like the free to be you and me vibes of like, just be yourself. But it is, and it's infused with this huge um, range of, of musical styles and, and Eric's brings that to the table. Would you describe your genre or style as bluegrass, or would you describe it as something else? I call it bluegrass, but what do you call it? That's a great question, because we're right now kind of, uh, you're catching us in the throes of exploring that, and, and we have been this whole time. You know, I'm a huge fan of bluegrass music, but when I say that, like, that means something to me, and it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to everybody, of course. It's a word out there that means different things, like being Jewish means something different to everybody. Is it a religion? Is it a culture? And bluegrass has this same kind of thing where there's a purest form of bluegrass, which when you're talking about Bill Monroe, Flatt and Scruggs, Stanley Brothers, etc., you know. And then you also have the bluegrass that I grew up with, which was more of a, quote, new grass thing, and also really just ended up being kind of very fancy folk music with the likes of, you know, people like Bela Fleck and Nickel Creek and, you know, Punch Brothers and Sarah Jarose and like all these singer-songwriters that are starting to write music with bluegrass instruments and also improvising on a very high level. So bluegrass has become something that is actually more Americana. So these days we're kind of using Americana. Talk a little bit about the original purpose of your music or message that you wanted to convey with your music together or the one that's evolved over time, perhaps. Well, the original purpose, I'll say it was all an accident. You know, we fell in love. That's always an accident. A beautifully happy, you know, accident that is, you know, ever evolving and beautiful. We, um, sorry. Stop making lovey-dovey eyes at each other. Okay, fine. <laughs> Actually, you can continue. I just wanted our listeners to know. <laughs> no, no, it, it's a big story. We fell in love. Your question was, say it again. So what was the original? I mean, you talk about, you know, wanting to be authentic, right? Wanting to express yourselves authentically. Original, right. but, but has that purpose or intended message of your music evolved over time? Yes, it has evolved. The purpose in the beginning, I noticed something when we first started making this music. As a fan of, of course, Americana, bluegrass, all this stuff, I noticed that so many artists could go out and sing songs about Jesus, about Christianity, about their spirituality, and it's not necessarily called religious or overtly Christian or anything. It's just Americana, you know, because they're kind of synonymous. And the fact that gospel music is kind of at the core and like in the bedrock of what has laid the foundation for Americana music, it goes without saying. So any secular artist can go out there and kind of be themselves in all of that. If they want to sing a gospel tune, well, let's do Will the Circle Be Unbroken. Everyone will love it, you know, even though it's a gospel song or even, 
you know, even songs that we've kind of turned on their ear a little bit, like Wayfaring Stranger or, you know, Down in the River to Pray, I Fly Away, you know, gospel songs that we love. So this was our answer to that. We were like, well, we're going to bring a sense of Jewish spirituality to the to the Americana table. Um, and our first records, or really our first record and then a little bit into the second, dealt with some of our liturgy, with some of the prayers that we had grown up singing, which for us meant a lot, you know, songs like Hine Matov, which is a whole song about how great is it to have friends and, and be together and, you know, celebrate each other's uniqueness and beauty, to songs like Oseh Shalom, you know, Prayer for Peace or something like that. Through the years, we've found a new purpose, and we've also, you know, been a band through a very trying time in this country. No matter what side of the political fence you're on, it's been... We're all living in a world where we pretty much don't agree. And it's kind of de facto now that we don't agree and we're going to fight. And unless you see exactly eye to eye with me, I'm your enemy. And we have now kind of taken a stance. You know, we're not politicians by any stretch, but Donnie has kind of created this term that I love, and it's called radical love, which is to, regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of, you know, our opinion on this, that, or the other, we are going to look at people in the eye and embrace them and to, to put love out because that's what the world is is clearly lacking. You know, and it's definitely a kind of hippie sentiment, peace and love, man, you know. But we're fighting all the same things now that everyone was in the 60s, that everyone was in the 70s and 80s, and before that and probably beyond. And we're challenged with the same issues. We're challenged with racism, anti-Semitism, a lack of empathy and diversity in neighborhoods and school systems and in cities. And the world is still, we want to be happy. So we pretend that it's better than it is sometimes, but it's not great for so many people. And it is a Jewish ideal that I grew up with, you know, this idea of tikkun olam, to make the world a little bit better. That's what we want to do through our music. Do you feel like you have had opportunities to kind of share and communicate that radical love? Are you getting through to people? I think every time we get on a stage that is, you know, in front of anyone, really, whether it's a Jewish crowd in front of us or whether it's a secular, diverse crowd of people, we don't know what their backgrounds are. We really are kind of stepping into a space where we are putting out this radical love. And I think that we have been blessed with an amazing response to it. People are skeptical about a lot of things. There are Jewish communities that we're very skeptical about the banjo and very skeptical about the bluegrass thing. And, you know, the amount of people that come up to us at a synagogue and say, I thought I hated bluegrass. I had no interest in bluegrass. I love it. Or I thought I was going to hate you guys. Like, I didn't understand what you guys were all about, but it turns out I really love it. So we're getting a lot of love wherever we go, which is kind of why no matter what's going on, we just keep doing it because... You know, we've also had responses from people of all backgrounds just hugging us, thanking us for sharing this culture with them. People have come up to me like crying, like, thank you. I, I, I've never met anybody Jewish. And I just didn't know. I didn't know. I think the music is so powerful that it can break down so many walls and just shift people's ideas. And so I do think that the response to our radical love has been great. It's not easy. It's a little scary sometimes. It's not always been embraced. There are a lot of, you know, bluegrass festivals that wouldn't put us on their stages because they don't want a Jewish band up there. They don't know what their crowd's going to think or how that would affect their, you know, bottom line or I don't know. Do they um, come right out and say that? Pretty yeah. much. 
Yeah. Yeah. We've definitely gotten that feedback. It's hard to hear, as you can imagine. It's painful. But it's the truth that there is anti-Semitism everywhere. Yeah, it used to be we've been a band since about late 2014, and now we're knee-deep in 2023. And in the beginning stages, maybe I was more naive, and I used to kind of think, because, again, the bluegrass world I had in my head was that of progressive music, you know. But I will say, you know, that there is a flaw in the bluegrass world and some of the people who want to keep bluegrass being a certain way. And we'll always play bluegrass, so it's not we won't depart from the genre, but are exploring other areas as well is because we have had clear and cut answers of no, you will never be on this radio station. So no, you will not be at this bluegrass festival. We don't have room for people that preach Jewish thing, which is not what we do at all. We have a big show where, you know, I think we're a good band. We've done a lot and I'm proud of what we've done. You know, if the answer was no, because we don't believe you're good enough, then that'd be one thing. But the answer is clearly a Jewish issue. You know, it's a tough thing to live with. So a little bit of me is, you know, it's one of those things you hope as a little kid growing up who loves music, who like is crying and dancing and laughing and learning it and loving it. And it's the most exciting thing in your life. You hope that when you grow up that it's not going to turn around and kind of kick you in the ass and you're not going to see some of the dark underbelly of of the world that you love. And unfortunately, some of that has happened. At the same time, I've gotten to play with my heroes, our heroes, you know, Sam Bush and Jerry Douglas and Brian Sutton. And like the people that I've loved as musicians have all been the most beautiful like creatures on planet earth. They are like very much beloved to us and our family. I'm not totally surprised. We love bluegrass as a family, but my kids do call it Jesus music occasionally. And we make sojourns to bluegrass jam sessions. There's one in Little Silver, New Jersey once a month that we've we've made the sojourn to at the little Methodist church there in town. And I sing along with I Saw the Light, but you know, my eight-year-old wants to play the banjo. That's the musical instrument he has settled on to learn. Though that's why you guys stand out so much is that you have given to us a sense of belonging, right? That we belong in this world too. We belong in those seats as well. And so I'm not surprised that you've experienced that, but my heart is breaking a little as well. As you and talk. <laughs> I want to add that there's nothing wrong at all with bluegrass music, mm-hmm. with celebrating Christianity and that spirituality at all. And I just want to be really clear because that's the music that I love. And I'll sing along with those songs too. And it's not, as Donnie was saying before, it's we're playing a lot. We're, there are folks that are saying yes, that are embracing us. But there is something about, you know, when you're Jewish and when you get that kind of feedback, it speaks more to anti-Semitism than I think the musical world or the culture that we live around us in, in this country. I hope that I am being clear in that. Like, the, the music is beautiful and the heritage is beautiful. And We love bluegrass culture, bluegrass music, Americana culture, all that stuff. We love our Jewish culture. And we only want to do right by both sides of that equation, you know, make sure that they're balanced and treated with love. But just like the world, there is like a a little bit of a, not a little bit. I mean, the the anti-Semitism that we're seeing right now in this country, it's everywhere, including, you know, what Eric was talking about. It doesn't like just go away. We were at a big conference and somebody came up to me and I tell this story a lot. This guy came over to me in a big cowboy hat and he just looked at me and he said, why do you have to be here? Why do you have to play this music? He actually said, you don't belong. Y'all don't belong here. 
this, this Jewish thing, like just basically like get, and I remember just like taking a deep breath, walking outside. I think I cried a little bit. I think I called my dad, (laughs) you know, I was just like, what am I doing here? Like, this is nuts. But then I walk back in and I'm getting, you know, hugs and like a lot of love. So, you know, this is part of being outwardly Jewish, I think right now, like it's just kind of what happens. And that's the phrase that we haven't said yet, because it seems like kind of a strange thing to be outwardly Jewish. You know, what does that mean? And I didn't grow up in a world where people did this, you know, and it kind of boils down to there's a decision that we have to make that I had to make and Donnie as musicians that are we going to be a band that is just about the music? And largely we are actually, we want to make good music first and foremost. And we also want to be a band that is, we live in this world and we are seeing a rise in anti-Semitism and we are scared about it. It troubles us and it makes my blood pressure rise and it's terrifying. And if we don't say anything about it, if we're not outwardly Jewish, if we're not openly wearing the star on our chest, you know, so to speak, or on our, you know, shoulders, it's not, I don't think we're doing ourselves a service. I think we're hiding behind something. For better or worse, we're openly, you know, going out there and talking about this stuff all the time because, you know, it won't get better if we don't. You have recorded three albums. You're getting ready to release a fourth. Is that correct? Yeah, we actually have four albums out. One is a live one that we kind of snuck out at the end of 2021. But yeah, there's four that you can stream or buy or any of that stuff. And we have some new music coming out that we're really excited about. If you could talk a little bit about the inspiration behind those albums, because I know that they tell stories, right? And, And I'm curious if you could share with our listeners... Songs for the Sparrows is the most personal and adventurous, I think, recording that we've done. It was a huge undertaking. But maybe, Donna, you want to tell them a little bit about the inspiration behind that record? Sure. That record was inspired by a trip that Eric and I took with our older kids and my mother. My mom did all of this research about our family history in Eastern Europe and found all of this information and was able to locate the town that our families were from. And so we did this big roots trip. It turns out I'm from Ukraine. I thought I was from Poland, but now it's Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And so we went on this trip and we saw the town that my family was from. And then we saw the forest outside of this town where some of my ancestors, we believe, were shot. We saw so many things. This trip really kind of just rocked us. I mean, it's, it's everything that we've learned about, but to go there and to see it, you know, it's not in a book. It's not in black and white. It's there. And to see that... You know, the history was kind of almost trying to be erased in modern times. It was like hiding. You know, we had to dig it up to even know that it had happened. It was weird. Literally hiding. Like we were in Lviv. In this is, of course, before current day. This is back in 2018, and we were in this like kind of great shopping area and parking lot. And and the, our tour guide had to say, you know, this was a cemetery. This was one of our. It was Jewish like a cemeteries. flea market. It was like a flea market. I mean, it was like, what's going And there's but, vibrant life happening, but at the same time, yeah, no one's, it was, everything just was destroyed. It, you everything, know? you know, everything, hundreds and hundreds of synagogues. I mean, all of, most of our ancestors, you know, this is where it all was at. But anyway, so we were on this trip and while we were there, I posted a picture on Facebook saying, you know, I'm on this roots trip. This is blow, you know, whatever. And then one of Eric's cousins, like a distant cousin, Ruvain, who had also done a lot of research on his family history, started sending email after email to Eric saying, Eric, Eric, you are from six hours south of Lviv. 
you are from the Carpathian Mountains. That's where our family is from. You should go. So we turned the bus around. We ended up going six hours south to the Carpathian Mountains so that we could see where Eric's family was from the next day. And just like you, you thought your family was from Poland, I thought my family was from Austria-Hungary. But in 91, the borders all shifted. And so my grandma, I grew up, you know, grandma, where are we from? Blah, blah, blah. And she, uh, and she spoke a little Hungarian and, and Yiddish too. It was always Austria-Hungary. That's where we were from. And now, of course, it's present-day Ukraine. Right. So we take this six-hour drive south, and through the help of Ruvain, we're able to find the cemetery where Eric's great-grandfather was buried. Hours of looking, and we finally get there, and it had been destroyed. Um, but somebody actually was trying to restore it, but it was like little bits and pieces of, of stones everywhere. But it was... At least it was kind of marked as something. So we went in there and looked for hours. We spent hours trying to find like a little evidence of something with his great-grandfather's name on it. We never found anything. But there was a moment when we were walking around the uh, cemetery that we looked up and saw all of these little birds flying above us, these tiny little sparrows. And there was just something that kind of was very breathtaking about the whole experience and kind of weird and we went through this whole trip, kind of taking it all in. It was a very emotional, as you can imagine, like just very intense trip. We got home and we're trying to like process it. Six weeks after we returned home was the Tree of Life shooting in Pittsburgh. So it was like part of our brains was, was like, you know, that was the past. That It happened over there. This was a terrible thing. It happened over there. Then suddenly we come home and it's happening here. And there's this hate and there's this violence. And, and so it was just like all swirling in our heads and... We just kept thinking we have to do something. We have to, like, we just felt compelled to make an album, basically, or to do something. We didn't know what it was going to be. We just had to write. But then we kept coming back to that moment with the bird, with the sparrows, when we were walking around the cemetery. And Eric and I had this thought, well, maybe those sparrows were our ancestors. And we learned that sparrows live all over the world. They're small and mighty, and there are sparrows everywhere. There are sparrows outside of this house. There are sparrows in Ukraine. There are sparrows everywhere. So the sparrow has become a symbol or a totem for anyone who has been discriminated against and hated for just being themselves. You know, whether it's our ancestors or anyone, you know, right now who's just not being accepted for the person that they were born to be. Unbelievable. I want to go to you and ask you about your upbringing. And I know Eric grew up in Brooklyn, but where did you grow up? Did you have a bat mitzvah? You know, how your spiritual journey? So I grew up in, I was born in New York. And then I lived a little bit in Boston, and then I grew up in the D.C. area, and then Philadelphia, and then I moved to New York. So it's been, you know, East Coasty. I grew up going to Jewish camps and Jewish schools, and I had this, like, very intense connection to my Jewish spirituality. Like, I hated it. I loved it. I challenged it. I needed it. I didn't want it, you know, it was, but I was in it. You know, I, was, I had this relationship with my Jewish identity, even as a little kid, like a little girl, I remember I rapped to fill in, you know, in a Jewish day school setting. And like the rabbis were like, you know, angry at me, you know, things like that. Like I was just like really rebellious in my relationship with my Jewish self and going to Jewish schools and things like that. So I don't know. I felt like a Jewish cowgirl really my whole life. You have a film crew that has been shadowing you for quite a while now, six months. Tell us a little bit about We Sing Nonetheless which is the title of an upcoming documentary. Yeah, it's really exciting. We met this awesome gentleman, Adam, up in Boston. We were playing a show. I believe it was at his synagogue. 
you know, it was just after the show and I'm like kind of sweaty and over by the merch or something. And, and I just start talking to this guy and he's like, I'm a documentary filmmaker. Little did I know he's an Emmy award winning documentary filmmaker. And his last project, Dawnland with the Upstand- Upstander Project is the name of the organization. And we became really kind of fast friends, so much in common. And we just kind of started texting a little and throwing around some, could this work? I'm kind of like, they're going to be a documentary about us. I mean, what we do is really important, but I kind of forget that we're the ones that do it sometimes. And I'm like, you're going to follow us around and and do this thing. And he was serious about it. And it's turned into, it's it's happening. It's a project. It's going to be a movie. And the working title is We Sing Nonetheless, which is borrowed from one of our lyrics. It's from this song called Tree of Life. It's a bigger story because we wrote it the day of the Pittsburgh shooting. But the refrain in that song is this lyric that's, but we sing nonetheless, despite this pain that we've gone through with everything we've talked about with the sparrows and all this stuff. We sing nonetheless. And it's a lyric that we, of course, we love. We wrote it, you know. But when Adam came to us and said that could be a theme, I was kind of blown away because that's kind of the one of the little core messages of the band, which is that despite history and what history tells us and what we've learned, we are here, so we have to sing. We have to make that choice to sing. And that's so Jewish. I mean, it's just such a Jewish, like, that's what we, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it just feels yeah. so, like, when he, he actually, he came up with the title, and I just burst out crying. I was just like, oh. Yeah, it's That's kind of perfect. like, if I had to, that's just, like, how my life has been. It's just always that, you know? I want to talk about one of my favorite songs of yours, and one of the most calming, Tell us about the inspiration behind Evermore, or Hashki Venu, which is another song off your album, Song for the Sparrows, right? I love the, oh gosh, every song is like another one of our babies, but um, <laughs> the song that we wrote called for Hashki Venu, the Hashki Venu prayer, mm-hmm. that was inspired, Eric started writing that, I think, because I was having a hard time sleeping. Mm-hmm. And I think you wrote that one to try to help me get through the night. When when I was like, I just have a heart. Sometimes I just can't, not sometimes, most times. Still, still, some days you're just like, I didn't sleep. And, you know, that's actually a great one to bring up because it's, you know, it's based on this ancient prayer, Ashkivenu, the idea. And then when really reading the text and we look through a lot of different translations and it's just beautiful that we would, you know, that moment at night before sleep, first of all, we all have, it's universal. And the idea that these angels come and like take us to this land and like golden shores and all this kind of like cool imagery. Shelter, oh, shelter as night. We'll sing it with me. Shelter, oh, shelter as night settles in, lay us down beside tranquil shores so we can dream of the wings that'll bring us home again. For now and evermore. Something like that. Beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so that, but that's our task. You know, sometimes if we are looking at a song from a prayer, I'm glad you brought it up because it's, you know, while we're not like the word religious can mean something different to everybody, but these prayers are based in also our culture and our heritage. And it's all one if you're living a Jewish life. And I, I think that this is a, one of these beautiful, poetic, whimsical, magical prayers that is that is a part of our culture that we're super proud of. And we kind of wrote this folk song around it about being able to get yourself to sleep despite the day you've had, you know. Beautiful. Would you mind closing us out with another song? Um, 
The song's called Wear Aware. It was uh, intended to be a song of hope, uh, inspired by nature, and uh, it's a response to all of the the not so great things that we're seeing around us, uh, to try to comfort ourselves, really, also. Uh, but it's called Wear Aware. of Miriam and her daughters. They were sung beside the seas and tides, so still must be out on the waters, still on the waters. Where, oh, where is the wisdom sought by the many before us? She was there inside the tree of life So still must reside in the forest Still in the forest Daddy die, he died, um, daddy died, um, die Daddy dum die, daddy died, he died, um, daddy died, um, die Daddy dum die They used to rest their heads on the flower beds So still must be there in the gardens Still in the gardens forgiveness from the age of the flood so long ago under all the rain the earth remained so still in the fields in the meadows in the fields in the meadows yeah he died he died compassion is it somewhere we can discover it's never too far it's right where you are it's always been in the arms of each other thank you so much sure thing it has been a jam-packed Jewish American Heritage Month here on People of the Pod. We kicked off with AJC CEO Ted Deutsch 
popped into the kitchen with busy and Brooklyn food blogger and cookbook author Hani Apfelbaum. And last week, we heard from Georgia Senator John Ossoff. Thank you for joining us to close out the month with Nefesh Mountain. Tune in later this week for our sit-down with House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producer is Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or learn more at AJC.org slash People of the Pod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at AJC.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag peopleofthepod, and hop on to Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod. 